Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of Independent Animation, brought to you by Squiggly Online Animation Magazine. I'm Ben Mitchell, Editor-in-Chief and Managing Director of Squiggly, as well as the author of the Squiggly book, Independent Animation, Directing, Producing, and Distributing Your Animated Films, from which this particular podcast strand has sprung. This series is intended to expand on areas of the book, as the indie filmmaking landscape continues to shift shifty little devil that it is, as well as following up on what some of the talents featured in the book have been up to since it was published. And that's going to be what we're doing today, with longtime Palzo Squiggly Tonko House, an incredible little studio doing big things out in California. Now, we've been following their journey for a while, and we first featured founders Robert Kondo and Daisutsumi in episode 25 of our regular Squiggly Animation podcast. We also profiled them in our animation documentary series Lightbox, which is still available on YouTube. Now, as the book is sort of a testament to, the concept of independent animation, or the term, perhaps, is pretty widely open to interpretation. Certainly, Robert and Dice didn't meet under what could be considered independent production circumstances, both of them working at Pixar at the time as art directors. However, The Dam Keeper, the film they would eventually make together, was their own independent effort, produced over nine months, three of which full-time when they took a sabbatical from Pixar. In the book and our earlier Squiggly interviews, this balancing act, as well as the greater production considerations and circumstances, are discussed at length, mainly as regards how they were able to achieve such an impressive end result. But there are a couple of major elements that do identify it as an independent work. The unique way they were able to bring in funding, for example, having established enough of a following as artists to be able to successfully auction off their work. Their sheer passion for the project that appealed to other artists enough to volunteer their services, and a noticeable concession when it came to the animation itself in an extremely low frame rate, oftentimes just sticking with keyframes as one would expect in an animatic. What compensates for this, of course, is the incredibly rich and vivid painterly style of the film. Each frame is an undeniable work of art, and the sophistication of the timing of what movement there is, matched with the incredible sense of environment, atmosphere, and character appeal they were able to produce, completely negates any issue there may have been with the film being not fully animated. It's this concession, in fact, that contributes directly to the film's unique appeal. We get to immerse ourselves in the sheer artistic ability without being distracted from the story. So while initially their scenario may seem less attainable than most, the main tenets of how they brought the film together are fairly relatable and applicable. You don't have to work at Pixar, or a studio of comparable size and significance, to build an artistic support group around you, nor do you need to have worked on Monsters University to build a following on social media, and as long as you're smart about the concessions you need to make with your film idea for reasons of time, money, resources, etc., you can still create something special that resonates with your audience. Now, of course, I'm sure most of you know that The Dam Keeper was a hugely beloved film that earned itself an Oscar nomination. It's still cited to this day as something of a game-changer, not least of which for Robert and Dice themselves, who took it as a springboard to fully commit to their studio Tonko House as a full-time gig. But what happened next? How has leaving Pixar and forming their own relatively independent operation fared for the pair? That's what I'll be chatting about with Robert Kondo in a few moments, though I'm sure many of you are aware that since the original short film's success, 
the Dam Keeper has expanded into an ever-growing IP with numerous strands that make use of the characters Pig and Fox and various others from that universe in a similarly appealing way. And for a while, Tonka House were indeed ramping up for a mainstream feature-length outing, a project that, due to the recent Disney and Fox merger, has stalled, although I imagine just temporarily, as we'll go into. Perhaps most artistically evocative of the original short film, however, is a three-part graphic novel series, the concluding entry for which came out this month. We'll also be chatting a bit about what they're working on presently, and what the future holds. So without any further ado, let's catch up with Robert Kondo of Tonko House. The last time we spoke, the dam keeper, the original short film, had really kind of set the world on fire a little bit. And, you know, it's been great to see it's had this life beyond a film. So, yeah, it'd be nice to sort of chat a bit about the journey Tonko has been on since then and uh, how that universe has expanded. Yeah. I mean, with the dam keeper itself, I guess that seems to be the, the main sort of protocol as far as what you guys have been sort of returning to it's it's gone into like educational resources and the poetry series and now the graphic novel series which is just wrapping up were all of these sort of envisioned at the start like when you were doing the original film or was it more down to the opportunities as they came along you know it wasn't a part of when we started the company or when we started uh the short itself it's actually really funny the other day Tonko House is just about, we're, we're going to celebrate our five-year anniversary this year uh, in, a, in a couple days, actually, um, in a few days. And um, we went back over, I went back over the first email that Dice ever sent me um, that was about the inception of the Dam Keeper project, the short. And in this email, he actually talked about the possibility of building a team or a place that we could really play in and start a studio or, you know, a pro- whether it's a project or a studio. Um, and it was really interesting. I didn't remember him talking about it that way. But in a way, the dream was always, I think, to build this sort of place. So it, was, it wasn't like we anticipated or we could see a vision in which we would be making graphic novels and all these sorts of things. But we did see sort of a growth of the people um, from the short to uh, kind of finding a way to continue to create. And the Dam Keeper has just been one of those worlds that we found reason to come back um, and continue to help tell stories in that world. Um, so, you know, both Dice and I are, are kind of, our role in even kind of the feature film world has always been in creating worlds and the lighting and atmosphere of films. So, when we made our own project, The Dam Keeper, we did create a world that it felt like there was many different facets to explore. Um, so it's really been whenever we find reason to come back to that world to explore, um, you know, we haven't really fought that urge at, at this point. We've mm. been kind of just letting it, letting it kind of lead us down uh, the path of the studio. Mm. I guess there have been other ideas that have come along the way, like uh, with Moom and um, Sleepy Pines and Oni and various others. So you haven't been completely closed off to other ideas, certainly. What's the sort of qualifying criteria, I suppose, of a, a new idea as far as which ones you would pursue to you know, develop it or make a short film or that kind of thing? You know, I, for us, I think really it's always been about our creators finding a path 
that is both personal and also in our eyes has universal appeal. So, you know, when we first started the company, you know, a lot of our friends, a lot of people that were going off to do their own thing had a lot of projects lined up. So when we left Pixar, um, we didn't really have a plan in place. Um, it wasn't like we were like, hey, when we leave, we're going to do these jobs. Uh, we spent a lot of times talking about why we wanted to leave. And the reason why was to really find a way to tell our stories and continue on a path of growth um, and sort of feed our own curiosity about storytelling. And we stole a page right out of Pixar's book. Um, you know, we had worked there for uh, over a decade and we felt like the best films from Pixar always emanated from a place where the storyteller, usually the director, um, had a personal idea to explore, a question usually about their own existence or the existence of life around them. Um, so our own process to create projects started with a very similar process, which we've coined as almost like Tonko House Therapy since. Um, and that's basically just us sitting around in a room talking about the issues we face as people. Um, and so all of our projects start there. So that's kind of the criteria by which we will measure whether we're going to move forward on a project or not. I think a lot of uh, exterior things also plug in as to whether or not it has a market um, or a place in the world, um, you know, is usually helped to be determined by partners or distributors or financiers, that sort of thing. But our storytelling emanates from that place and qualifying a project as to whether or not we will spend time and effort into helping it to see the light of day um, comes from us really making sure that our storytellers are finding a way to, to take a risk um, and they're risking something and being vulnerable uh, in order to talk about a story that hopefully has relevance to a much broader um, audience. Mm. That's excellent. It's really sort of nice to see that sort of within a, especially with a newer studio, kind of having that sort of receptiveness to, you know, external ideas and nurturing it within. I think that's a really nice thing to hear. And then I guess as far as like the, the sort of further developments of the Dam Keeper as I guess an IP or something that has other applications, to an extent then, like say for example, the poetry series, is that something that you were approached by sort of by the poet, for example, or someone else, or did you guys sort of come up with that initially and approach them? Yeah, I mean, we had an incredible opportunity um, with Hulu in Japan to make something. Mm -hmm. There wasn't really kind of a preference to push in one direction or another. At the same time, you know, for us, it's always been about trying to find ways to get our team together. And one of the people that we were really excited to bring back into the fold uh, was Eric O. Oh. And Eric O oh was our supervising animator on the original Damkeeper short. And Eric is an incredible storyteller. He's made over a dozen films on his own, independent films on his own, and uh, you know, much more of a, a filmmaker in a way, or much more kind of in the right to be able to call himself a filmmaker, even more so than I think Dice or myself. And uh, we were excited about bringing him in. So we actually used that opportunity that Hulu in Japan uh, had provided to bring Eric in as actually a director and showrunner. And Eric, uh, you know, who we're excited to work with in a greater capacity, came in to basically 
write that story, storyboard that st story, and put it all together and direct the whole thing. Um, so that's sort of where it came from is, and we wanted, you know, because Eric is one of the kind of inner circle of the Dam Keeper short, we really trusted him to take his own, to have his own take on that world and those characters. And he came up with this really brilliant idea of almost these like memories of these poetic memories of Pig um, executed in his own style and his own way um, in 2D. Uh, and so that, that was really great because Eric was someone we trusted. And again, he found his own kind of personal voice in that, um, that had relevance to a world that we had built together. Um, and it, you know, it led him to really great attention and, um, all the way to, you know, Eric winning the Annecy Crystal Award, uh, last year was really a, a really brilliant surprise that we were hmm. excited to have because the film had not you know, the series had not been widely distributed um, at that point. Hmm. The graphic novels then, I guess, is a sort of further extension, because I know you guys for a while were developing it as a feature, which I guess is kind of on hold, and maybe we can go into that a bit as well, but would the story, I guess, that you have for the graphic novel series and the story for the feature, were they the same, or were they kind of independent of one another as a kind of long-form thing? You know what was really great is that the, so the short itself, going into the Academy Awards, we were really fortunate to have this momentum um, behind the Dam Keeper franchise. And we did have a feature idea at the moment at that time. And so we really used that opportunity to meet a lot of people in Hollywood. You know, we're up in the Bay Area, so we don't spend a lot of time down in Hollywood. And that was really our first time trying to sell an idea and share an idea and at the same time, we had begun to talk with our producer, Kane Lee, about uh, the possibility of also at the same time using publishing as a jumping off point for developing the story in a, in a, in a faster kind of cycle um, than, what, than what the feature film might. And both of these things sort of happened all within the same timing of each other, putting the book deal together with First Second. You know, Mark Siegel over at First Second, who's the editor there, um, was kind of our dream editor. We explained to him that we were wanting to develop a feature film and that this was all part of it, um, that while we didn't want to be held to the story for the feature film, this would allow us to really develop artwork, worlds, characters, the story. Um, and we wanted Mark to really be part of that sort of circle to help us figure out some of that story. So um, I would say that it all kind of happened together. It's all, I see it as all kind of uh, helping together. And also all of that attention, the press, the promotion kind of being shared between really helped to move both projects forward in a way. Um, and ultimately, uh, the three books were done before, you know, we were able to get the feature kind of to a place while, um, while we had a feature deal development deal going on at Fox, um, 20th century Fox. Yeah. So it is, you know, I would say that the stories have a similar core, but I would imagine in the end that the feature will probably, um, deviate a bit from what we learned from making the, the graphic novels. To clarify then, the feature isn't sh like shelved permanently. It was more to do with this like merger, right? Right. There was, a, you know, like a lot of these things, Ben, and I, I feel like I still have like a vague understanding of Hollywood and how everything works. But mm. in the end, I feel like what happened was, yeah, there's a lot of craziness. You know, a lot of our, our meetings at Fox were 
really incredible. They always landed on these really noteworthy days. You know, our first meeting with some of the incredible people over there was the day after um, Trump had been elected. Right. Um, and so that was like a really interesting meeting. The, the, one of the, the other big meetings we had was the day after the Disney merger had been announced. And so we had this sort of pattern of like world changing thing, at least for our, in our, with our world, these things kind of like continuing to happen. And I think with, in all truth, both on their side and our side, there was a lot of insecurity around this merger and what could happen. A lot of sort of things besides that were also changing within the company, you know, who was working with our project, what department our project was sitting within. And so our project got moved around quite a bit and we tried to move our project around a bit. Um, and in all of that, it just felt like we got ourselves into a place where it felt like we've now been in development for well over a year and we no longer have access to our worlds, our characters. They're kind of held up in this world. And I think they also felt similarly that like, we don't know exactly how these things move forward at this point. And so it just sort of, and I know everyone always says this, but it really was truly this mutual decision to kind of decide to do what's best for the project. Um, and so now like, you know, and you know, the deal that we put together and everything was really hard fought between both sides. But I think in the end, the project is in a really safe place now. And um, Tonko House has it in a place that we can kind of move it forward at, at, at the kind of speed we want to and get all the right pieces and the story that we want. Um, so, uh, you know, and, and in all truth, it's like the, the, what I've learned about Hollywood is there's a lot of incredible people with really great intent and everybody kind of firing off in different directions. And to get a project made, whether it's good or bad, I just have so much respect for because um, it really does take an entire village to get these huge projects up on screen in front of an audience. And I think that, you know, we learned some hard things, but I think also that it didn't necessarily diminish our hope or excitement for Hollywood and, and, and kind of the people that are out there. Um, if anything, I think it really strengthened that. But it's really difficult when a lot of people believe in something to make a decision to change course, um, whether it's our side or the Fox side or, you know, other partners. And I think Dam Keeper has been really a great result of that um, overall. It's good to hear, especially when, you know, with film, there are so many stories of things, circumstances changing and enormous compromises having to be made. And so what ends up being released is this really you know, messed up version of what the original idea was or what the potential could have been. So it's good sure. to know that it's in a in a good place while it's sort of in limbo at the moment. So yeah, absolutely. So yeah. So meanwhile, there's we've got the graphic novels, which I guess is just wrapped up with this third part. Yeah. How did you find the first two have been received by people? Yeah, I think that you know the first one we were really surprised at how it was received. It was um, you know generally I think it was well received and mm -hmm. it was nominated for an Eisner Award, which we were really shocked at since you know in all truth we enjoy graphic novels but would, this was really our first graphic novel together and um you know there i think a lot of people from the outside assume that if you can kind of make a short film then making a comic or a graphic novel shouldn't be too hard but they're completely different languages and you know again mark siegel our editor was an incredible guide through that world and 
but the first book was really, you know, we felt like was really well received. Um, the second book was a little less well received. I think there was a little bit of confusion for people who were coming into that world uh, that there was a book one and a book two, um, right. and that this was book two in, in a series. Uh, and, you know, I, I think in truth, too, there's a little bit of, um, I think book two to us has always been our kind of exciting book because it was the book that we get to explore a world beyond the dam. Um, and so for us too, there was a little bit of like over excitement, I feel like where it was just, Oh, I want to, I want to draw that. I want to do this. And, um, and I think, you know, in, in truth that, uh, book two was a little less sort of celebrated, I think, than, uh, book one. Um, but we really felt like book three has a strong ending. And, um, and I think a lot of the early reviews and some of the talks that we've been having have been really promising for us. And, um, kind of wrap the whole thing up. So, um, you know, we really hope that uh, at the end of it, that people are able to identify with this little pig, you know, mm. and and see themselves in the story. I know definitely there are moments when Dice and I have, uh, you know, because these things take a long time. And so I think we're kind of waiting um, to see how the world sort of receives this book three, because I don't think it's, it's not sort of a typical book, I, I think, in terms of, of the amount of work that we put into um, how we approach this as filmmakers, I think, rather than coming from it as comic book artists and graphic novelists. Um, and also, I think, you know, making the decision to fully paint the book. Uh, there are definitely moments when we just we thought, like, oh, we should have just drawn this thing <laughs> like many of the other smart graphic novelists out there. Um, and, and also, you know, developing it at the same time as the feature film and, and trying to find the voice of these characters. I think all of those things have been decisions that we wavered on as we went through the process, but we're really excited to have the third book out there given how um, other things have gone within the franchise. But, um, but, you know, I, I think we're really waiting kind of to hear from, you know, reactions from people on book three. Hmm. So your point there about the, uh, the painting, and the looking through, I mean, the art is especially kind of evocative of that original short, like perhaps with a bit more sort of like definition, I suppose, in places, but very labor intensive, I imagine, but wonderful end result. Oh, thank you. So, I mean, you mentioned like it might have been easier to do it in a different style. Had you contemplated other approaches, like with doing the feature in CG and the poems in more of a kind of 2D style? Was there ever a kind of back and forth about other directions this series could have gone in visually? Yeah, you know, I, I think, that, you know, for those that don't know, our feature film we're thinking of as 3D CGI feature, kind of in the more classic DreamWorks or Pixar style. Um, in the graphic novel, uh, we really felt like, because we were starting to explore this 3D world, 2D, the 2D world of poems was sort of being more realized and uh, this truly this poetic kind of version of the dam keeper uh, was being made in a weird way. Selfishly Dice and I also felt like, but what about that painted look that we enjoy making? And so the graphic novel was great in satiating that kind of hunger within us. Um, it definitely was labor intensive. We brought back some of our, you know, some of the people that worked on the original short to help paint a lot of it. And we ran a process that was very similar to the short minus kind of the animated frames. Um, but you know, it was one of those things that also we felt like our kind of audience who, you know, we're very fortunate in the community that we've been very fortunate to build around Tonko house 
also was sort of asking for. Um, and so, you know, it's not out of the question either that we, we still love that painted look. Um, and we've seen a lot of people do a lot of amazing things since the Dam Keeper. Um, and, you know, I would hope that at some point we continue to find ways to use that painted look in other sort of formats or, or other ways. But um, for now, I think, you know, I'm, we painted quite a bit for the graphic novel. So, uh, you know, we're sort of focused on sort of other things at, at the moment. But um, we definitely talked about, you know, in order to do the painted look, we actually did hand drawn um, what we call the workbook stage, but penciled pages um, that we could have easily found a way to use that to kind of do the book. And, you know, we talked about at the end, like, man, we could have, we could have almost done that and it would have been like so much faster. But, um, but I think in truth, like there's always something, especially working with dice, like he is such a master of sort of this sort of tone and atmosphere that he always still to this day surprises me with choices that he makes in terms of how to take where the story is and really amplify that through lighting and atmosphere. Um, and I think that he really did a, a great job with our team um, in kind of finding that again with the graphic novels. Um, it's, it's easier for me to imagine it animated with that touch. I did like how the story kind of took the elements that were kind of fundamentally introduced in the short film as regards the sort of friendship dynamic and, you know, becoming allies along the way with people um, and everyone sort of coming together. And I, I, there were a lot of recurring themes, but I felt like the element that must have, well, perhaps was a challenge um, or certainly different was the degree of like dialogue we now have given the original film is sort of largely a silent film, apart from the little bit of narration. So, I mean, was that challenging? Like kind of giving these characters like voices, so to speak? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think still to this day, that's the most challenging part of this whole thing is um, there's something really beautiful about the lack of dialogue, you know, in any animated short or book or story where um, I think the level, if you can kind of achieve it, the level of empathy and, and understanding and ability to, for an audience to place themselves in that story, it's just one less element to kind of complicate that. I feel like when you don't have that dialogue in a way um, and introducing it, it's kind of like music where I feel like if it's right, everyone in the room will be like, yeah, that's right. But if it's wrong, everyone in the room will be like, that's wrong. And so we hit a lot of wrong tones. And I, I truthfully feel like this is, you know, with the feature film, I feel like this is what I hope to continue evolve and find is are those voices. Um, there's something really brilliant when you watch, you know, film that works well uh, and characters that work well, that you're so immediately drawn to the way that people speak and the way that people interact with each other. And in ways, in many ways with a character like Pig, who doesn't actually even, we always said this, it's like the trick with Pig is that even if we add dialogue, he shouldn't talk all that much. Um, he's not like a talkative character. And it was interesting to find that where the silences land and when he speaks up and when he doesn't speak up, uh, starting to become these big critical choices because, um, even within this world, it's not like he's a very talkative person. So working on a script, working on the graphic novel, uh, having a main character that isn't so talkative, isn't so driven by dialogue, 
uh, is still one of the biggest challenges. And um, yeah, I, I think this is the first time that Dice and I really had to sit down and, and write some dialogue and, and find this dialogue. And we had some incredible partners along the way that helped us along. And um, but you know, I think this is the thing that, if anything, we're, we would continue to push on and continue to find those voices because I feel like we've got a great start, but I, I feel like there's still much more to be explored there. So I guess in the meantime, do you guys have any irons in the fire or projects coming up that uh, you can chat about? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we're uh, we've talked a little bit about in social media. We've got two projects. The character designer, our character designer for the Dam Keeper, um, is an incredible, incredibly talented artist named Chris Sasaki. And Chris was a, an art director, production designer from Pixar, um, who designed many of the characters from Monsters University, Inside Out, um, and some of the upcoming features that they have. But uh, and production designer for Sanjay Super Team. Uh, he's someone we worked with and loved working with. He designed the characters for the Dam Keeper. We brought him along um, to join Tonko House. We we're really excited to have him join us. And uh, he's been directing a couple of um, stories of original stories of his own, the latest of which is the story uh, Sleepy Pines. Um, and I don't want to say too much about it other than it's uh, you know a cast of animals, um, this sort of music-driven um, story that's really about a band who's trying to find their voice in this um, small little town uh, that has that feels a little bit of slice of Americana. And um, really beautiful story, really wonderful characters. Uh, they're all animals. Um, uh, and also the overall story speaks to, you know, a few environmental concerns that we face as, as a planet um, and how this little tiny town is affected by... Um, you know, sort of changes in the environment, um, given that they're all animals and, and, and insects. Um, so that's a really wonderful uh, project that we're working on right now. Um, that's 2D. Um, and the other project that we're working on that we've sort of done some tests with is our first little foray into stop motion animation. Wow. Um, so DICE right now is... Um, writing a show, you know, Dice is, uh, was born and raised in Japan, uh, grew up in Tokyo, um, came over to the U.S. to study art and his trade, uh, has since worked in the industry here, but given through the start of Tonko House, you know, and some of our projects, we've started to go back to sort of his hometown um, of Japan, his home country of Japan, and started to collaborate and work with some of um, some incredible people out there, amongst which is uh, Dwarf Animation Studios, which is a really wonderful stop-motion studio. And DICE has decided to tell um, a little story set in kind of a world of Japanese folklore and mythology. Um, and that project's working title right now is called Oni. Um, and it's a really amazing story about uh, this Oni, this big uh, sort of thunder god who has this daughter um, who aspires to be sort of this, you know, her father's daughter, um, a thunder god. Um, and so it's a really sweet story about this little girl growing up and learning more about where she comes from and where, you know, how this world exists in, in this world of that coexists with humans and these gods and 
how time has also progressed and um, sort of challenges their situation as gods, um, how the modern world of humans challenges the world of of gods, of these mythic gods and monsters. Um, so that's a stop motion project that we've been developing that's really, you know, it's it's so fun for me because um, it's the first time that Dice and I are not directing something together. Um, and I get to enjoy uh, sitting the sideline and sort of, you know, participating in little moments where he pulls me in. But overall, you know, I'm really excited about the world he's building. And um, it is so uniquely Dice and so beautiful um, and has all the elements that, you know, I've come to enjoy about his storytelling. Um, and in the end is a really heartfelt story about a father and a daughter um, set in this really fantastic mythic world um, that's very near and dear to his heart. I think there's been a lot of stories about Japan coming from Japan, but um, I think this is a really, really unique take given Dice's sort of um, dual identity, both as you know being here in the States, but also coming from Japan and being so aware of what Japanese animation has to offer, but also having a past that is uh, rooted in American Hollywood uh, um, feature animation. So it's like the best of both worlds I see. Um, and I'm super excited about all the work that they've done. And, um, you know, again, both of these projects were um, in talks right now. And I really don't want to say too much beyond that, but really excited about the possibilities of, of these um, projects uh, seeing the light of day. Hmm. Well, I, uh, I wish them well. They sound fantastic. Um, I'm, I'm really hoping we get to see more of that, especially the idea of the stop motion dimension to everything. It would be great to see yeah. what you guys sort of do with that medium. You know, one of the things that we've been doing at Tonko House that is we've been trying to share our journey. So a lot of you know, for instance, talking about Sleepy Pine and Oni, I think typically a lot of studios would hold on to that and not talk too much about some of their projects that are in development. Uh, you know, for us, we feel like we've benefited so much, including making the Dam Keeper in the community that's been really supportive, both in the animation world, but even outside of the animation world, um, there's been incredible support for Tonko House. And as part of that effort, we've created these exhibitions that have been traveling mostly in Japan so far, but this year we were really fortunate um, to take the exhibition and translate it into Korean with one of our partners out there. And so currently right now um, in Seoul, Korea, we have uh, an exhibition, the Tonko House exhibition um, that's going on right in the heart of Seoul in the Chongnam district. And uh, that'll be running until the end of August. And one of the exciting things that we've been doing there is um, we've been really pushing this sort of education effort that we've been doing. So the first project that we ever created at Tonko House was actually this project for schoolism, which was a sort of sort of like how to paint from the eyes of Tonko House, like Dice and I sharing kind of everything we know about painting um, in this video course and education for mostly, I would say, adults and uh, sort of young professional students and um, we always dreamt of what would it be like to create this as a curriculum that started from when you were like five years old. Um, and so in Korea, we've actually created with um, one of our art directors, Mike Dutton, a little part of the exhibit that you can actually draw on the walls. And um, our idea is always that all of artists that, you know, at our studio grew up wanting to draw on the margins. Um, so 
the exhibition there will explain the journey of Tonko House, but end up in this room where it's really about the future of Tonko House, which is, you know, I think the children and um, a lot of our audience, as well as future artists, where they get to get, draw on the walls and fill in sort of a prompt that Mike has, a visual prompt that Mike has put onto the wall. So that'll be running till the end of August. If you find yourself in Seoul, please stop by and check it out. Um, it's really an incredible um, event that we're proud of um, that'll be going on. Fantastic. Is there a website for it that people can go to? Yeah, if people will uh, just search Tonko House uh, Korea, uh, Zamigo is the company that uh, we partnered with to put on this exhibition. That's Z-A-M-Y-G-O. That was Robert Kondo of Tonko House, and Return from the Shadows, their final book in the Dam Keeper graphic novel series, is out now through Macmillan Publishers. If you enjoyed the look and feel of the original short, you'll absolutely love this whole series. It's really quite something. Of course, you can also keep up to speed with their other projects at tonkohouse.com. And once again, for those of you who might want to check out that fantastic exhibition in Seoul, the details can be found at zamigo.com, Z-A-M-Y-G-O.com. So thanks so much to Robert for catching up. It was a real treat for me, and I hope you folks listening got a kick out of it also. Before I head off, a quick plug on the off chance anyone listening is attending the inaugural Accra Animation Film Festival in Africa. My film Sunscapades will be playing on Monday, July 29th at 5pm as part of a special program of highlights from last year's Encounters Short Film Festival. I believe that will be taking place at the Basecap Initiative in Accra, but full info can be found at aaffia.org. Speaking of Encounters, this year I'll once again be involved, though not as a filmmaker, but resuming my hosting duties, as I've done in previous years. I've also been involved the last few months in pre-selection for this year's edition. I'm sure you folks are going to love what you see. If you keep an eye on encounters-festival.org.uk, they'll be putting up this year's official selection and program before you know it, and you can buy festival passes for this year's edition already, so hopefully I'll see some of you there. There's going to be a strong squiggly turnout this year, so do say hello. That'll be taking place from September 24th to September 29th. It's also worth mentioning that if you haven't checked out the book Independent Animation, Developing, Producing and Distributing Your Animated Films, it is right now on sale through to the end of July. If you buy it directly from the publisher crcpress.com, you can get 20% off. In fact, if you buy it with another book from the same publisher, or if you want to buy two copies of this one, I'd be a big fan of that idea. Uh, you get 25% off, so hey, even better. Well, that's all from me. I've been Ben Mitchell, at Ben L. Mitchell on Twitter. You can also follow Squiggly at Squiggly on Twitter and at Squiggly Animation on Instagram and with Squiggly Magazine on Facebook. Of course, the website is squiggly.com or squiggly.co.uk if you're itching for that extra keystroke. Until next time, happy independent animating and try and get some sun. <laughs> <laughs>